Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Greetings, listeners. We have more and more questions and answers to cover. Thank you so much for writing to info at ketoreset.com. We are oh, a couple years down the road with this keto craze, aren't we? Lots of information out there. YouTube, internet, podcast scene. Uh, hopefully we're getting more sophisticated and more knowledgeable with our approach, and also a little bit more relaxed, because I think early on uh, we had a tendency to uh, get a little too deep into the numbers aspect of keto. It was new, it was something to follow to the letter, and uh, in our latest book, Mark Sisson and I are working on called Keto for Life, releasing uh, in December 2019. Uh, we talk about Mark's, uh, the term that he coined is the keto zone. So living life in the keto zone, which is a baseline diet that looks like the ketogenic description of very low carb, moderate protein, high in natural nutritious fats, emphasizing the wonderful sustainably raised animal products of the earth, along with your desired intake level of the natural, colorful, nutritious plants, nuts, seeds, vegetables, fruit, and maybe your level is a little lower if you become captivated by the carnivore movement. It seems to be getting very popular, very interesting. I talked about that a lot on the previous uh, Q&A show that uh, kind of went off into a long discourse on the rationale uh, about the carnivore eating style and the adjustments I've made accordingly. In short, I'm uh, not going out of my way to consume massive portions of vegetables anymore, and have, in fact, uh, increased my fruit consumption. It happens to be summer too, so going hand-in-hand hand with that, but getting that permission from Dr. Saladino that the fruit is the least defensible part of the plant. So the fruit is the final offering of the plant. It has less antigens, less anti-nutrients than the seed, which would have the most, because that's the uh, most defensible part of the plant. That's the seed, the life force of the plant, and that's where you're going to get the highest dose of uh, potentially troubling uh, lectins, phytates, things like that that we've talked about from day one with the Primal Blueprint, uh, especially grains, but also in uh, the vegetables and the nuts and seeds. So, interesting to kind of... Uh, uh, change course or modify a little bit. But in the big picture, I think before we start into these questions, uh, we have to uh, respect or take a look at this idea that it's what we don't eat that probably gives us the greatest health benefit when we're talking about transitioning over to an ancestral style eating pattern, uh, implying that you have ditched the uh, horribly offensive uh, grains, sugars, sweetened beverages, and refined industrial seed oils that characterize, according to Dr. Lauren Cordain, 71% of the calories in the modern, in the standard American diet come from these nutrient-deficient modern foods that did not exist 10,000 years ago in hunter-gatherer times. 
uh, wow, so 71% of the calories you get have very little nutrition, are highly offensive to the body because they stimulate excess insulin production, which sets the stage for the disease patterns that we're seeing in epidemic proportions, uh, the obesity, type 2 diabetes, cancer, heart disease, all the uh, minor occasions that uh, can be traced to inflammatory dietary patterns like inflammation and autoimmune conditions, anything with itis, a lot of this stuff coming from the nutrient-deficient modern foods, especially the industrial seed oils, which have no place in human consumption, uh, yet they still have a centerpiece uh, position in the diet, especially in restaurants. Go to Whole Foods, the wonderful, super healthy Whole Foods market. Sorry, guys, but a lot of the buffet line has canola oil in the preparations. It's absolutely mind-blowing. There's so much science supporting this. Go on YouTube, watch uh, Brad Kern's Kate Shanahan, Vegetable Oils, search for something like that. There's a nice interview. Uh, Kate's become one of the leading crusaders uh, against these industrial seed oils is the proper terminology because they have sustained such oxidative stress in the processing method. You're trying to get oil out of a seed, a raw material, sunflower, safflower, soybean, that doesn't really uh, uh, give off very easily uh, oil, unlike the avocado, unlike the coconut, right? Because they're such a high-fat plant. And so when we're manufacturing these industrial oils with uh, chemical solvents and high-temperature processing methods, what we're giving you is uh, free radicals in a bottle. That's a quote from Kate Shanahan. Trip out on that. So if you can have a total elimination of the oils starting today and then make a concerted effort to eradicate your diet as much as possible from the refined grains, the sugars, and the sweetened beverages, then you're going to have an absolute transformation of health, whether you're talking from the carnivore peanut gallery or the whole food plant-based peanut gallery. And that reminds me of an interesting podcast I listened to recently on the very popular Minimalist podcast. And they had uh, Rich Roll, a leading uh, vegan plant-based advocate and podcaster, uh, Dr. Tommy Wood, my good friend who has done many shows on the Primal Blueprint channel, and also some fabulous ones on the Get Over Yourself podcast where he lays out in the most simple and sensible terms uh, a healthy eating plan without all the uh, the dogma and the gimmicks. A very sensible, reasonable guy that's very up on all the research. You're going to love those shows, so go back and search for those. Uh, but they had Dr. Tommy Wood on stage with Rich Roll, as well as Dr. Paul Saladino, leading carnivore advocate, who's uh, done some great shows with us recently. So that was a fun, peppery exchange, and some of our uh, foundational notions about whole food, plant-based eating, uh, were challenged by Dr. Saladino, such as that it's better for the environment. And he gave some counter opinions that industrial agriculture and farming of, uh, of plants and grains uh, has a high destruction level to the environment. And then in contrast, a, uh, a grass-fed uh, cattle farm is going to have a net zero or negative carbon impact because of the uh, contribution of the animals uh, ro- running on the open range. Uh, concentrated animal feeding operations, we're all in agreement that these are pretty nasty. So uh, just getting into some distinction points really interesting show so it's what you don't eat that makes the biggest difference and then we can do some refinement and experimenting i think that's the best way to go of course there's a lot of science supporting disparate dietary practices so at this point 
rather than shove a uh, an important opinion down your throat uh, in a stronger or louder voice than the next person you listen to. I'd rather get reasonable here. Look at our common ground, uh, as I always talk about when I uh, uh, reference the uh, the other sides of the coin, like a whole food plant based person who refuses to eat meat, and then a let's say a carnivore person who refuses to eat plants. Pretty funny, but these people have a lot in common, and that is they're eating healthy natural foods from the earth. Yeah, so the common ground of eliminating the junk, and then maybe step two would be personal experimentation, seeing how things work for you and how much enjoyment of your life you can get from certain uh, types of dietary strategies, and combine that today, especially when it's so easy to combine your dietary experimentation with uh, blood test, nutrition testing. Uh, you can go to ultralabtest.com or directlabs.com and order up uh, for pennies on the dollar for what insurance bills, if you're paying out-of-pocket cash, uh, you can order up an assortment of custom blood panels for things of your general interest. There's, for example, a male hormone panel that I get frequently as I delve further into the world of uh, testosterone research and formulating a testosterone supplement coming soon uh, with ancestral supplements. Really excited about that. So you check and see what's going on. You want to go for a plant-based binge for 90 days? See how it affects your hormone levels. Same with the carnivore experiment that I did. Um, So I have a lot of data and support for uh, maybe how these things are affecting me. One interesting note I heard from Dr. Sean Baker recently, leading carnivore advocate. He has his own podcast with uh, ultra runner Zach Bitter called Human Performance Outliers, but he was on a different show. Uh, I believe it was with uh, Mark Bell on The Power Project. And he was saying that, and he published his testosterone numbers, and they were pretty low. They were uh, at the low end of normal range. Uh, And he speculated that because he's a strong, powerful guy setting world records in the indoor rowing, clearly doesn't appear to have a testosterone problem. He speculated that his receptors, his testosterone receptors are more sensitive due to his dietary habits, particularly the low insulin levels and the low insulin production in his diet. So whatever testosterone is made is being utilized efficiently by the cells and he doesn't need to have big numbers running around in his bloodstream. So that's super interesting and it's another level to add on there because uh, my friend Dave Cobrin, who's been experimenting with uh, carnivore, uh, was shocked to discover after a one-month strict carnivore experiment that his testosterone had nosedived from a previous level. However, he reported feeling great, uh, no complaints, everything working as it should, um, and so what the heck? And so possibly there's an answer to uh, things like that where you're looking at a bad blood value and being uh, alarmed. Yeah, so if you feel great, your digestion feels good, you have energy, you're enjoying the meals that you put together, those are all some thumbs up uh, votes for whatever diet you're following now. And I know people can uh, try to uh, squeeze out and manipulate uh, that that comment into uh, an argument that they really love their pizza and their chicken wings and their uh, processed, fast, fast prepared foods. Um, so there's another element here where um, maybe we don't know what great is, but we think we know what great is, but it's only just good. So that's kind of my argument for constantly experimenting and refining and tweaking to wonder if there's an even higher level of 
uh, peak performance, dietary satisfaction uh, from being open-minded and willing to uh, change and revise. And that's what my uh, carnivore uh, experiment was all about. I was like, sure, I'll go for it. Uh, what do I have to lose? It's a very interesting premise. It's a little difficult to embrace out of the gate, uh, but you might as well try it. Uh, especially if you're suffering in any way, particularly with excess body fat. Uh, so there's a large percentage of the people, based on our research, emails, uh, general uh, U.S. population or world population uh, health concerns. And so in the background, floating around with a lot of healthy living and healthy exercise fitness enthusiasts uh, is a complaint about excess body fat from their reference point, not anything else. That's all that matters, right? And so if that's still an issue for you, uh, I think things like a, a restrictive carnivore pattern or an intermittent fasting strategy where you commit to uh, eating in a narrow time window, let's say from 12 noon to 8 p.m., and so you're getting a long daily fast every day, which is uh, turbocharging fat burning, these things can be highly effective to get the matter handled once and for all. And oh my gosh, funny stuff for me was I became a participant in this world for the first time uh, probably in my adult life. Uh, so I did a whole show about it called the Fatty Popcorn Boy Saga. <laughs> and the Fatty Popcorn Boy would be me. Uh, the show's on the Get Over Yourself podcast, and it's an interesting look at my mindset and some of the practices that I implemented uh, to get more discipline going in my life and my diet, and realizing that some of my indulgences or my uh, loosened purse strings had spun a little bit out of control, uh, enjoying uh, popcorn during uh, family gatherings and celebrations uh, started to be so enjoyable that I was making it more and more, and it would just be... Mia Moore and I enjoying uh, stuffing our faces with popcorn on a routine uh, <laughs> evening. So it started to become less of a treat and more of a uh, dietary inclusion. And then uh, that coincided with the occasion of me stepping on a scale, which happens maybe once a year. Um, I just don't have an occasion to do it, maybe at a physical or uh, at someone's house. And I noticed a number that I'd never seen before. I was like, holy crap, uh, I just put on a bunch of body fat without even noticing. <laughs> so I launched into this program, which hopefully uh, listening will give you some uh, interesting insights or perspective anyway. Uh, and some of the things I put into place were uh, a carnivore-ish experiment, and that was sort of uh, independent of my desire to drop some excess body fat, but it happened at the same time and uh, played an uh, important role. And the second one was just making a rule for myself out of nowhere, sort of random, that I wouldn't consume any calories until 12 noon. And I'd done this uh, quite a bit in the past, especially with the research for the keto reset diet uh, going on these long periods of fasting, but I decided to put it back into the mix uh, just because it represented some discipline and structure and may or may not have been useful or effective for, let's say, my uh, fitness goals and recovery. I don't think it certainly doesn't hurt. And of course, there's a lot of health benefits to fasting and eating in a compressed time window, uh, but I don't necessarily intend to stick to that.
that the rest of my life. But for a while, I made it a pretty serious rule and it started to enter my consciousness every single day. One thing that happened was uh, I'd start to get hungry around 11.30 a.m. Imagine that. Is that psychological or is that really my digestive circadian rhythm kicking in and requiring food because it had been uh, whatever, 16 hours since my last calorie? So it was really fascinating to uh, uh, reflect on all these, especially on the challenge of reducing excess body fat, which frankly, I have to admit that I didn't have a sufficient level of empathy or sensitivity to throughout my time talking about this subject and coaching people until it really happens yourself and you have to realize the consequences of the choices you make, uh, the value of living in the same uh, manner as your stated goals. So if I'm talking in public now saying that I, I don't eat calories until 12 noon and then I decide to make an excuse for myself on uh, the 11th of the month and then again on the 14th and then of course on the 21st because people are over and I'm making omelets in the morning, then uh, you start to uh, sit back and say, uh, what am I all about? What do I stand for? Uh, similarly, uh, my devotion to the morning chest freezer cold plunge uh, is a wonderful part of my life. I enjoy uh, sharing the story with others and maintaining that focus and discipline and motivation to go jump into a tub of water that's 36 to 38 degrees and go through my uh, deep breathing sequences, which is like a meditative experience because I'm really, really focused on my breath uh, so that I can become impervious to the cold and override that sympathetic nervous system response, that shock response when you jump into freezing cold water. So that's been a wonderful element in my life, not just for the hormonal benefits that uh, we talk about extensively on the detailed article on Mark's Daily Apple, the it's called the Maybe Not So Definitive Guide to Cold Therapy because there's a lot we don't know yet, but it's an interesting new uh, health practice. Uh, lots of hormonal uh, anti-inflammatory benefits, but I also reference the other benefits, which is the uh, discipline and motivation and focus that it puts into my daily routine, starting with the very first thing I do every day the morning flexibility mobility routine. You can see that video on YouTube. I do it as soon as I get out of bed every single day. And then when I'm done with that, I descend the stairs and I jump into the tub without a second thought, without the dread or the uh, mind chatter uh, talking me out of it. Uh, so I just kind of act like a robot. Tony Robbins references this and saying it's my mind telling my body what to do. And he's a big cold plunge enthusiast. He has cold plunge facilities at all seven luxury homes that he owns around the world. You can see him on YouTube jumping into his custom little cold tub. Fun stuff. So that sets us up nicely to hit some actual questions. But the main takeaway point is do something for yourself. Advocate for yourself. Take charge of your health. Set some goals. Behave in the same manner, in a congruent manner with your stated goals. And off we go. Jen writes in to say, My partner and I have been following the 21-day reset, loving keto with intermittent fasting. He's lost 25 pounds, and I've lost 20 pounds. That's 45 for the couple in our six-week journey. Can you believe that? In only six weeks? Radical, extreme lifestyle and physique transformation. Congratulations. My only concern... 
is that there are days when we're not very hungry. We can so easily have coffee and water until 2 to 3 p.m. and then eat a big dinner at 5 to 6, maybe adding some cream to the coffee for fat. But eating only one meal a day, that means our calories are 1,200 or so. Our protein intake is pretty low, 50 to 60 grams. Unless I force us to eat more food, this brings us up to 16 to 18, protein at 9,200. I weigh 270 and my partner weighs 310. Is this something to worry about or can we eat according to our own cravings? We've just found out that this appetite correction with fasting and keto means that we're rarely hungry. Okay, so uh, you can follow your appetite and cravings. Absolutely no problem. I would not worry about under-consuming calories until you start to experience symptoms such as fatigue, weight loss plateau, uh, cravings and spin-outs where you're looking for sugar, signs of malnutrition. But for now, uh, with that rapid weight loss and the regulation of your appetite, you have experienced a tremendous turnaround in health and can continue to uh, eat according to your appetite. And we don't know about your exercise routine, uh, but in the bigger picture for all listeners, if you're pursuing uh, ambitious exercise goals and fitness uh, regimens, then you're probably going to have uh, some increased appetite experience when you're doing keto, and it might be difficult to sustain down at uh, 1,200 calories a day like Jen and her partner. So uh, one thing I might suggest, Jen, is as you've lost this tremendous amount of weight, perhaps that will inspire you to become more active, and maybe that'll kickstart a little more appetite during the day. And that would be uh, probably a good thing because uh, increased activity in conjunction with dropping excess body fat is just going to lead you further down the path to health. Congratulations. Keep it up. Courtney is next. I was medically retired at the end of 2015 due to multiple traumatic brain injuries while being deployed in combat. Served for 17 years. Congratulations, Courtney, on a great career. And the retirement uh, was uh, warranted due to the difficulties with her uh, health conditions. So she realized she was having some health problems in retirement. She went from 210 up to 265. No matter what I tried with my nutrition or working out, uh, started to get into some medication regimen for sleep that can also mess you up and cause weight gain. Dr. Phil Maffetone, remember, uh, reminds us that any prescription medication that you are taking, any prescription medication warrants a reduction in 10 beats of your training aerobic heart rate. That's a huge chunk to take off of your training aerobic heart rate. Just because you're taking a few pills to help you sleep or help you calm down. Yeah, this stuff is serious. Uh, as evidenced by that admonition to reduce your training heart rate, to reduce the stress of your workouts and slow them way down because of the side effects and the repercussions of taking any kind of prescription medication. And uh, the one that uh, Courtney mentions is pretty potent, Seroquel, 400 milligrams uh, that he was giving me for sleep. So, 
whew, we can't go against a doctor's recommendation or make comments uh, when, when not knowing the, the patient and not dispensing medical advice on the podcast, but that general comment that if you're under any form of prescription medication, you are going to have some serious side effects that are going to affect your performance and recovery, your exercise, your appetite, your ability to burn fat. So, Courtney decided to take matters into her own hands because she wasn't getting better. Uh, says she had put too much trust and faith into her doctors. She started to instead, uh, or in conjunction, excuse me, remove all processed foods, focusing on healthy, nutritious proteins and fats, little to no carbs. It has made all the difference. I quit taking all my medications. I know that's not recommended, and I didn't tell my doctors, so don't try that at home. But again, if you're taking a medication to help you sleep, and you start sleeping really nicely due to dietary and uh, exercise lifestyle movement uh, improvements, hey, you're going to go to sleep, you're going to go to sleep. Body fat's dropping, was sleeping three hours a night, now she's sleeping a nice seven to eight hours Oh my gosh, what a fantastic success stories. I know there are thousands of veterans, both men and women, struggling with health problems that could benefit from a keto reset approach. Oh my goodness, I'm getting so tired of phone calls from teammates telling me that another friend has struggled, even taken their life. This is a common problem in the service. It's so sad. Perhaps they're not getting the health and wellness care that they need. We know they have uh, assorted different levels of medical care. There's a lot of complaints about the medical care they get for diseases and acute problems, but definitely a plug from Courtney uh, for the veterans and seeing if they can get some better care and guidance for their health rather than just their medical problems. You know what? I am all in with this, Courtney, and I would love to give uh, active or retired uh, service members uh, an even greater discount to any of the online courses. So why don't you email me if you're listening and you're interested, um, and we'll we'll deal with it directly. I'll get some permission from uh, the, the big shots that are setting the prices and uh, concerned about me throwing around crazy discounts. But don't you all agree that uh, the servicemen could warrant that, especially if you're on a budget, uh, active duty, whatever. Send me an email, tell me how we can help, and we will get you set up with these courses. I really appreciate the letter. Congratulations, Courtney, on taking your health into your own hands and getting great success. Here comes Sue. I've tried the ketogenic diet twice and was not able to lose more than a few pounds and was also hungry most of the time. I came off my second stint after reading that my high stress levels are producing an insulin spike, which is stopping me from losing weight. Can you please advise me on this theory? Well, I think what you mean is that your high stress levels, uh, high chronic stress levels, right, hectic, stressful life, uh, is has a tendency to uh, spike cortisol. That's the prominent stress hormone and have prolonged uh, overproduction of cortisol, which of course one day leads to burnout. So let's get this clear, everyone, that when you're in this go, go, go uh, frame of mind, perhaps not sleeping enough, perhaps over-exercising, overworking, uh, having difficulty with personal relationships, job, commute, stress, frustration, piles of bills, whatever 
whatever it is that's on your list, your shit list of things that are messing up your life, you're going to be uh, chronically stimulating this fight or flight response until one day your fight or flight mechanisms become exhausted and then you start underproducing uh, levels of the critical hormones such as cortisol. So we need a healthy cortisol balance in the bloodstream, healthy cortisol production. As you may have heard, it spikes in the morning, giving you that energy and that boost you need to get out of bed and get going. Also, serotonin, the feel-good neurotransmitter, is spiking in the morning. That's a desirable spike of these uh, mood-elevating hormones and stress hormone cortisol. So when we're talking about cortisol in the negative context, what we're talking about is the chronic overproduction of cortisol. Sometimes you'll experience this late at night when you get a second wind, when you're sitting in front of your computer screen, catching up on emails or binging through uh, uh, your Netflix queue. And that's an undesirable spike of cortisol that occurs because it's getting late, it's dark outside, your body really wants to go to bed and start producing melatonin, flooding the bloodstream with the prominent sleep hormone melatonin. But when you blast your eyes with artificial light, the SCN, the suprachiasmatic nucleus in the brain, is perceiving this light message and creating the hormonal response accordingly. That means a suppression of melatonin, precious melatonin that makes you feel sleepy and tired and your eyes, eyelids get heavy. That's also the reduction of dopamine that causes your eyelids to get heavy and facilitate the uh, introduction of the sleep phase. So when that stuff is shut down in favor of exposure to artificial light and the spiking of the prominent stress hormone cortisol, so that's bad news at night. We want cortisol to go down, down, down until we get tired and sleepy and then allow it to spike naturally in the morning on cue with the rising of the sun, which is a prominent trigger for all manner of uh, hormonal function in the body, including that morning mood-elevating, energy-elevating stress response. So when your hormones get out of whack, (sighs) guess what? You can't lose body fat very well because that spiking of cortisol uh, goes hand-in-hand with a difficulty or down-regulation of uh, fat-burning genetic mechanisms in favor of sugar cravings to fuel your late-night Netflix and email binges. So Sue wants to get things handled, uh, lose more excess body fat, and manage those hunger signals because, again, the spiking of cortisol also is associated with uh, appetite dysregulation, a spiking of the appetite hormones. The prominent one is known as ghrelin, G-H-R-E. L-I-N. Ghrelin gets your stomach growling. That's a quote from Dr. Kate Shanahan, so you can remember uh, the function of that hormone. So yeah, you're going to get all messed up when you're overstressed in life. So it's a great question. It was a short one. I like that too. But it sets us up for the big picture view here that the first and foremost thing we want to do is manage our stress levels in life before we start tackling ambitious dietary goals like going keto and dropping the carbs or extended fast periods like eating in a compressed time window of 12 noon to 7 p.m. That doesn't really work well if you are in high-stress lifestyle mode. What's going to happen if you're in high-stress mode and you're trying to do keto or trying to do a lot of fasting is during those periods when you're not eating food, your body is going to overproduce cortisol due to the stressor that is fasting. 
right? It's a stress to the body to starve the cells of energy when you wake up first thing in the morning and don't give it fuel. Your body's going to have to go to alternative means. If we're fat adapted and we're healthy and we're stress rest balanced and we have a harmonious uh, synchronization of the sympathetic fight or flight nervous system function with the parasympathetic rest and digest nervous system function, all this is going to go very well because we're just going to tap in to our vast stores of body fat to fuel our energy needs without a regular meal. We're also maybe going to make the ketones that our brain needs to fuel uh, peak brain function uh, a better fuel source than glucose, the usual one, when you're not in the keto state. So all kinds of great things happen when you do the hard work with your diet to become fat and keto adapted. But if you're in high stress mode, you are going to trend back toward sugar burning due to the powerful influence of these stress hormones. So you're going to be craving sugar, eating more than you might otherwise need if your appetite hormones were stable, and it's all around bad news. So that's my answer to Sue's question is we've got to tackle that stress variable before we even worry about uh, the particulars of our ketogenic approach. Tamara, my concern, my question, Tamara says, all these references in keto talk about shedding fat and unwanted weight. I see a distressing amount of references to losing weight. Uh, I need to gain weight. I've tried researching everything about gaining weight on keto, and I've found nothing. I'm 5'6", 110 pounds, 57 years old. I've been at this weight for a decade. I'd like to stabilize up around 120, but it's so difficult for me to gain healthy weight. I understand for women after menopause that extra fat is good to help stabilize estrogen, but I can't gain fat. Uh, I'm average active. I've gotten back into a routine of vigorous walking. I don't want to do running or extreme exercise. I'm a mom, an artist. I just want some more meat on me. Also, uh, I can't add any more carbs because that cancels ketosis. So I'm curious about how to proceed. Whew, interesting question. Thank you, Tamara. Right. Most people are trying to lose excess body fat. Very few people are trying to gain additional fat, uh, a lot of people are trying to gain uh, more muscle mass, but uh, females 57 years old, uh, this is a unique case. So one of the things I want to point out in your uh, question, your statement, when you say women after menopause uh, need extra fat to help stabilize estrogen. So I'm not sure uh, this is a, um, a, a ironclad assumption. I'd love to know more where you found that out. Uh, but I think most women after menopause are struggling with uh, gaining excess body fat rather than uh, wanting to keep it on in the name of stabilizing estrogen. So that part we'll have to set aside for a moment and just talk about uh, your general question of perhaps uh, adding some fat and muscle to your frame as that is your stated goal. So, wow. And then your final line, I can't add more carbs because that cancels ketosis. So I would say to uh, loosen up your concerns about adding more carbs and canceling ketosis uh, because your goal of adding uh, more muscle and more, more fat to get to what you consider as a healthy weight uh, might supersede that for a while. And of course, you can always uh, get into a ketogenic diet phase uh, whenever you want. Uh, with the regulation of your macronutrient intake and a lot more fasting, but those uh, don't really go uh, super well with uh, weight gain. 
now, you can stabilize your weight on keto by consuming extra dietary fat, right? So that you'll get all of your energy needs from diet, even with carbs and protein restricted. It's pretty easy for most people out there to eat enough fat or eat more than enough fat to never ever worry about dropping weight on keto. If you're saying that you're uh, losing body fat on keto and you don't want to, uh, have some more uh, nutritious, deeply satisfying, high-fat snacks and meals. Uh, But in your case, if you're trying to gain weight, uh, a sure path to that is eating more calories, especially more carbohydrates, uh, get that insulin level higher, and sort of get into... um, the anabolic mode of adding lean muscle mass and even a bit of body fat. Pretty simple. It's uh, also your your exercise is uh, not a concern, but someone who's over-exercising is going to have trouble adding uh, body fat and uh, lean muscle too. So uh, good luck with that. And don't worry about stepping out of ketosis or stepping out of your macronutrient guidelines as you achieve this goal of going from 112 to uh, 120 pounds. Kathy says... A question about my exercise routine. Uh, I'm doing the Primal Health Coach course, and I followed the guidelines relating to the primal essential movements. That's doing 20 push-ups, 50 squats, 10 pull-ups, and two-minute planks every third day or so. I was also doing 8 to 10 20-second sprints every week or so. So those guidelines, she's talking about the uh, uh, primal essential movements where we reference baseline competency in push-ups of 20, 50 squats, 10 pull-ups, and then talking about the recommended sprint workouts of doing uh, uh, numerous repeats with a lot of rest and taking it up to 20 seconds maximum. Uh, So when she's doing her morning walk on the beach, she's integrating all these essential movements and doing, for example, listen to this workout, 12 push-ups, 20 squats, 10 push-ups, 15 squats, 7 push-ups, 15 squats, 1-minute plank, 10 pull-ups, 5 push-ups, 10 squats, 4 push-ups, 5 squats, and finishing with a 1-minute plank. Nice! And then also uh, throwing some sprints in there. Uh, on different days, doing uh, six repeats of 10 to 20 seconds every 10 days or so. That aligns with my recent uh, revision in the sprint recommendations to keep your sprints down in the magic uh, the, the magic uh, range there of 10 to 20 seconds so that you don't uh, experience the cellular destruction and breakdown that occurs when you try to sprint, when you try to go full speed longer than 20 seconds. So she's describing this revision from doing... Uh, the large number of primal essential movements at once up to failure, so 20 push-ups, 50 squats, 10 pull-ups, and instead sprinkling in there uh, in sequence as I reference that long string of what she does at the workout. And she says, I find that my form is better when I stop before I feel my form slipping. I enjoy it more because I don't have to struggle with that 20th push-up or that 50th squat, and I'm more likely to do the routine as I enjoy the lower numbers and seemingly less effort. But of course, she's getting uh, as much or more work done when she's uh, repeating those bouts with a little bit of break in between. And this is what we talk about in the book Primal Endurance with the maximum sustained power workouts where you do uh, sets of fewer reps and take more rest periods so that you can remain explosive and powerful and minimize that cellular destruction that occurs when you're trying to get maximum number of reps all the way up till failure. 
and then repeat that after a, a shorter, a shortish rest period rather than a longer rest period. So, quick example uh, that's coming extracted from the Primal Endurance book is: let's say you're uh, going to the deadlift bar, and the deadlift bar has 200 pounds on it. So, you perform your first set maximum ref reps to failure, as we're familiar with in the gym. And let's say you can bang out uh, 12 reps on that first set. Pretty difficult, but you're fresh. You get it done. Then you rest for a couple minutes. You come back, do another max rep set. And now you can do, uh, let's say, eight of them because you're a little fatigued from the first 12. And so there uh, you're going to go down and do a third set. And maybe on your third and final set, you're going to do uh, six of them. So you do 12, eight, and six. And you're pretty fried after those three sets because, uh, again, you went to uh, failure each time with as many reps as you could do, and you came back to the bar uh, after a, a brief rest period and then hit it hard again. So you probably weren't fully recovered from that first set of 12 reps when you went down for another eight and you weren't recovered from the eight or from the 20 previous reps when you did the six. And so what's happening inside the body is ATP is not fully regenerated because that takes about three minutes after an explosive max effort uh, set of short duration. It takes about three minutes to recharge those batteries to get those cells restocked with that uh, explosive fuel source of ATP. So consequently, over the course of a workout, let's say that's your first section of your workout, and then you're going to go do a similar type of uh, structure for bench press or another workout, is you're going to be performing to exhaustion and depletion several times over the course of the workout. You're going to walk out of the gym and uh, theoretically feel kind of tired and drained, ready for a big slam at Jamba Juice. And the next morning, you're going to feel that soreness, that fatigue, even that brain fog, which uh, in the great article that I've talked about on numerous podcasts from Dr. Craig Marker titled Hit Versus Hurt, uh, sort of a change in philosophy about the proper way to conduct a high-intensity workout for minimal cellular destruction, maximum performance, and uh, uh, improved recovery times. So the difference here, uh, as conveyed uh, really nicely by Kathy and the stuff she does on the beach, is that you never trash yourself. You never take it to the edge where you're in that exhaustion depletion phase of the cells. You're just punching out, let's say back to that uh, deadlift example, uh, you go up to the bar on the first time, you know you could do 12 because I just described it, but let's say the first set you do six and you drop that thing and it was very minimal uh, strain and stress compared to doing 12. And then you rest for maybe even longer than you did in the other example when you stepped back up to the bar after a minute and a half and then did eight and then waited a minute and a half and then did six. And in this example, let's say the first set is six, you rest for a couple minutes, a little bit of uh, extra time. Dr. Marker calls this luxurious rest intervals. And this allows that ATP to fully regenerate the sodium potassium pumps that fire the muscles in the central nervous system can fully regenerate and then you step back up to the bar and let's say you do another five and then you drop the bar, you rest a little bit, you come back to the bar. Let's say you do another four, drop the bar, rest. Let's say you come back and do another four, then you come back and do another two, then you come back and do another two, then you come back and do another two. And of course, two reps, not going to be much strain or cellular breakdown to get that done. 
But if you were adding in your head while I'm referencing all these frequent sets with uh, fewer reps, you're going to go way over 26, which was the previous example, right? Remember 12, 8, and 6, and then you're done and a little bit fried. But in the case of a maximum sustained power session, you're using the same weight. Every rep is super explosive, right? So that because of the rest and because of the uh, uh, short... uh, or the the minimal number of reps in each set, those two reps that you do, two reps that you do, two reps that you do, they're all going to be explosive with excellent form and minimal risk of strain, stress, breakdown, and injury that happens when you're doing that ninth rep or that seventh rep on your fourth set or whatever, whatever happens in the gym when things start to crack and you feel your lower back crab. And believe me, I've been that guy many times where I'm doing the deadlift and zzzt, there goes that lower back grabbing on my third set. And perhaps it was uh, coming on the heels of a sprint workout two days prior or whatever put me at a little tiny bit of vulnerability, whether it was the first sets before that that were performed to exhaustion, uh, muscle failure. So this has been an amazing transformation in my sprint workouts as well, where I cut back the duration of the sprint from perhaps 17, 18 seconds down to 10 seconds. I rest much more in between sprints so that when I come back to the starting line after a minute, minute and a half rest instead of 15 or 20 seconds rest that I used to take, I have a much more explosive, high-quality sprint performance. And when I finish the workout, uh, the effect is absolutely amazing where I don't feel that uh, that trashed, fried, exhausted sensation of uh, a cellular depletion and overall uh, central nervous system and muscular fatigue, but rather I feel springy and still explosive because really the workout just wasn't that hard. It didn't break me down. But at the same time, I performed more total work of a higher quality, just like with the uh, very simple deadlift example. Uh, the first the first person did 12, 8, and 6, that 26 total reps of 200 pounds. Uh, what is that, 5,000 uh, 5,200 total pounds. And if the other person was doing six, six, four, four, two, 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 wow, you're lifting hundreds or even thousands of more pounds with less overall stress and cellular breakdown. So thanks for writing in, Kathy, uh, to illuminate this great concept of uh, having the comfort to rest more and do shorter duration sets. Oh, so she asks, am I achieving the same amount of muscle form and fitness doing those intermittent exercises as when I'm doing the 50 squats and the 20 push-ups, where it's more struggling? I also bike ride, play golf, body surf, and paddleboard. I'm very lucky to have the perfect beach for barefoot sprinting. Wow, where do you live? Nice stuff. Thanks for writing in. And of course, you're getting wonderful benefits with less risk of breakdown. So keep it up. And here we go. One more from Nail. I'm currently reading the Keto Reset Diet. I have tried to go fully keto a few times before and ended up falling off. I'm an ectomorph naturally, uh, though I lift and keep fit to hold some muscle. So the ectomorph is the uh, naturally lean frame, I guess, from his answer uh, and and jogging my memory. Endomorph, mesomorph, ectomorph, right? After about a week, 
I just started getting really drained and losing too much weight, I guess a week into a keto effort. I try and pack in all the healthy fat I can. The weight just falls off and I don't want to do any more than I can afford. Can you offer me any tips? Maybe I'm genetically adept at burning fat and I need to eat more sweet potatoes. I'd really appreciate the advice. Uh, we followed up with him on email and more came back. Uh, so my goal is to become metabolically flexible and reap the health benefits of not burning sugar for energy. But most of the time, the most I've ever been able to maintain keto is only two weeks then I start losing too much weight. So what to say, what to do to nail? Yeah, there are certain people that um, we can speculate with pretty good certainty that there will be less benefit to ketogenic eating than someone who is struggling with uh, type 2 obesity patterns uh lifelong accumulation of excess body fat, uh, difficulty regulating appetite, uh, difficulty with reducing excess body fat. So when you go keto, when you're in the uh, obese category, the uh, excess BMI category, you're going to have much more potential for benefit than someone who is a natural ectomorph and has difficulty keeping weight on. Simple as that. So uh, a simple home solution, again, not medical advice or anything of that nature, but uh, eating more carbs, producing more insulin, probably going to be okay. Uh, we want to also check our blood values to make sure that, for example, insulin is under control, blood sugar is under control, HbA1c, that's the estimated average glucose reading, is under control, uh, rather than listen to some guy yap on a podcast about going and eating more uh, healthy, nutritious, colorful carbs in the name of uh, maintaining your weight rather than dropping uh body fat and lean mass in an undesirable manner. So yeah, everything's uh, individual and personal and subject to experimentation and revision. Uh, but some of these uh, answers, you know, obviously, if you're dropping weight, uh, you might want to change your approach, dropping weight undesirably. We have more to come on our next show. Thank you so much for participating and shaping the dialogue and asking some insightful questions coming at us from all sides, right? We had a couple people on this show that were uh, asking about how do I gain weight or how do I keep the weight on? Yeah, everybody's trying keto. It's so much fun. Do it right. Don't be a dummy. Get adapted first, cut the crap out of your diet, the grain sugars, and refined industrial seed oils, and then you have an open road uh, and some flexibility and revisions as we covered in this show. So thanks for listening, peeps. Have a great day. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. So, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on a Oh yeah, she so she loves those sort of, we love them as well. We have uh we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the 
the ranch, um, the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so, you know, that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the arse out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park as they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.